Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 16. This morning we're going to be looking at lessons from the prison cell. Several of you have spent some time working, working uh, in, in prison systems, and you can turn on the television and watch a movie or watch a documentary and, and kind of get a little bit of a glimpse on what at least television in Hollywood wants you to, to understand of what prison and, and jail looks like. Um, but we do know um, that God in, in his sovereignty and his grace and his mercy can do whatever he wants to do wherever he wants to do it. Now, when we think of, of jail, prison, we think of a dark place. We think of a place that is without hope, without um, joy. They have a place that's full of sorrow and sadness. A place that's very unlikely to be a place of great revival. But you don't have to dig very far to find stories of how God has changed people, how God has worked and how God has moved inside of prisons. And today, here in Acts chapter 16, we're going to see how God moves and how God works inside of a prison cell. So let's look here real quick at Acts chapter 16. We're looking at verses 16. That's where we'll be starting as we go through our journey here in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 16. Once, as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit of prediction and made a large profit for her owners by fortune-telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men are the slaves of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And she did this for many days. But Paul was greatly aggravated in turning to the Spirit and said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. When her owners saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace of the authorities and bringing them before the chief magistrate, they said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. Then the mob joined in the attack against them and the chief magistrate stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had inflicted many blows on them, they threw them in jail ordering the jailer to keep them securely guarded. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the jail was shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, because all of us are here. Then the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the message of the Lord to him, along with everyone in his house. He took them the same hour of night 
and washed their wounds, right away he and all his family were baptized. He brought them up into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he believed God with his entire household. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity we have just to be in your word for a little bit. And Father God, we pray, Lord, that in this time as we open up your word, as we study it, Father God, that you would be glorified, Lord, that you would move and you would speak. And uh, Father God, we pray that you would open up our hearts. Father God, that you would speak mightily to us. And Father God, that we be people that would leave changed by your word this morning. Father, we love you. We ask all these things in the mighty and precious name of Jesus. Amen. There are four things I want us to see here, four things I want us to, to take note of as we look at what's going on here in Acts chapter 16 as Paul and Silas are thrown into jail. Okay, Some things that I want us to take note of as we see the gospel go forward, as we see lives changed in a prison cell. The first thing... I want us to take note of is that following Jesus is going to be unpopular. Let's understand, Paul and Silas, as well as Luke and others, we don't know how large this group of people were that were going with them together. They were following Jesus. And the slave girl who goes and proclaims, indeed, who they are and who they're serving, okay, was speaking truth. But we quickly see that the crowd turns on them. Now it's because it has threatened something that they hold near and dear, which is their pocketbook. Okay? The, the people who own this slave girl, the people that own this girl who is fortune-telling, they, Paul and Silas, they've Paul has cast out this demon that's in her. It's so all of a sudden now she can't fortune-tell. Okay? She cannot be used. And so the owners of this girl find her useless because they can't turn a profit. And so all of a sudden they quickly turn on Paul and Silas and Luke. And so following Jesus, even in today's time, just as it was then, can be unpopular. That shouldn't surprise us. That should be a, well, duh. We see our world. We see the agendas that are pushed on television and movies through songs. We see the narrative that is played out. We see the desire to, at times, in subtle ways and unsubtle ways, attack the church and attack Christians. It is becoming growingly unpopular to be a believer of Jesus Christ. I was actually very surprised last night. We were um, waiting for uh, the South Carolina Eastern Illinois uh, football game to come on. And uh, it was a little bit before, but you could see on Facebook, you, they were live streaming the, the pregame things. Um, so they were live streaming the band playing and, and uh, the Star Spangled Band, the Pledge of Allegiance, the album on and all those kind of things. And we hadn't had it on, but probably 10, 15 seconds, and they're praying. Now that is extremely uncommon in today's society, today's world, because being a believer is unpopular. Following Jesus is unpopular. I might have shared this story before. I was uh, in High Point, North Carolina. We were working with some students. We were growing our student ministry. We were seeing God work and God move. And we had some students come to us and said, hey, we want to see prayer before our football games. And so they go through the proper channels and they talk to the proper people and they get it going. And 
had the opportunity to pray at our, the first one that they did. And we were probably two or three weeks into the season. And in through the mail to our church office as well as the district office as well as the uh, school office come letters threatening lawsuits because people are praying on a public school over a loudspeaker at a football game. And so, obviously, very quickly, it stopped. Because the gospel offends people because the gospel brings out and draws out our sin. It's like taking a spotlight and showing, hey, you're sinful. You need something other than yourself. You need redemption. You need salvation. You need Jesus. And so being a believer, following Jesus Christ, actually following Jesus Christ is going to be unpopular. Now let's understand this. Just saying you're a Christian and walking around the marketplace, just saying you're a Christian and going about your life and just coming to church on Sunday morning and not allowing your faith to change anything else about your life is not going to be unpopular. It's not. Because at that point, all you're doing is carrying a title. But if we're truly going to follow Jesus, if we're truly going to be changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the person of Jesus, by what Jesus does for us and in us and through us, if we're really going to be different from the world, and we're really going to take Scripture at what it says, and we're going to love people like Jesus loves people, we're going to stand for truth like Jesus tells us to, we're going to show grace and mercy the gospel proclaims and Jesus puts on display for us as well. If we're going to do those things, then we're going to be different. And it's going to be very clear to people in our comings and our goings that there's something different about us. And as we stand for biblical truth against what the world preaches and proclaims, and we stand against sin, it is quickly going to become unpopular. And it's not going to get any better. And for Paul and Silas, as they're going, they get a first-hand experience of the fact that following Jesus, following Jesus is an, unpo an unpopular thing to do. They're met with a crowd. They're met with an angry mob who is upset at what they've done. They weren't welcomed with cheers and a parade. They were met with anger. Because in following Jesus, we're turning our back on the world. And in following Jesus, in our lives, we're proclaiming that what the world has to offer is not enough. That doesn't sit well with a lot of people. It doesn't sit well with a lot of people if you say in, in a public space, if you say that you believe abortion is, is murdering innocent life. It doesn't sit well with some people if you say in a public setting that you believe that marriage is reserved for one man and one woman. That's unpopular. There's plenty of other things. It doesn't sit well with people 
if you say that you believe firmly that Jesus Christ is God's Son and the only way to salvation. Following Jesus can be unpopular. Second thing we see here is that following Jesus is going to cost us something. Following Jesus is going to cost us something. Let's look real quick, verse 22. Then the mob joined in the attack against them. The chief magistrate stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had inflicted many blows on them, they threw them into jail, ordering the jailer to keep them securely guarded. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in the stock. Following Jesus is going to cost us something. For Paul and Silas, it cost them a lot of things. It cost them their physical health, okay? They were beaten. Now, I know some of us, or some, of, some people among us today, you've been in fights. Okay, I've, not, I've never been in a fight. Sorry. Seen plenty of them. But some of you can share those stories of, hey, I, I, I've been there. I've hit somebody. I've been hit, right? Um, some of you understand what that's like, but this is different, okay? This is different. This is different than getting in the back alley and hitting somebody. This is different than being on a football field and getting hit. This is different than, than anything like that. These are rods that they're literally beating the mess out of them. And then they get thrown in prison. So not only does it cost them their physical help, but it also costs them their personal freedom. Paul and Silas, probably in that moment, don't know exactly what is about to happen. But look at what Paul and Silas do. Look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. See, even though it was costing Paul and Silas something, their personal freedom was costing them their health to follow Jesus, it was costing them something still Paul and Silas had an attitude of worship. They were worshiping. But following Jesus is going to cost us some things. Following Jesus is going to cost us our popularity. Following Jesus could cost us family, could cost us friends. Following Jesus could cost us financially. Following Jesus could cost us when it comes to our business or our job. Following Jesus could cost us a lot of different things. The question is, are we willing to deal with that? Are we willing to pay the cost to follow Jesus? See, there's many people, there's many believers who say, you know, Jesus, you're costing me too much, and so you're not worth it. You're, you're costing me my friendships, you're costing me my, my status, my social status among people. You're costing me financially, Jesus. You're costing me my business or my job. You're costing me all these things. And so, Jesus, it's not worth it to follow you because it's too much. You're, you're asking too much of me. Jesus never said that, call, that following him would cost us nothing. Rather, Jesus actually tells us that following him would cost us our lives. So we should not be shot that when we come to the realization that following Jesus is going to cost us something. And it might not be our, our literal physical lives, but it might be those relationships. It might be that addiction that has to go. It might be that habit that has to be put to bed. 
It might be those friends, those family members that we just don't need to be around anymore. It might be financially because God calls us to shift jobs or to change our focus in our career. It might be that it costs us everything. But the question is, is Jesus still good and is Jesus still worth it when it costs us everything? And the answer is yes. 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 And that's easy for us to, to sit here and to, to say in a comfortable room when we don't have to worry about these things. But the past couple of weeks, we, we've heard stories of, of believers, of brothers and sisters in, in foreign countries, especially in Afghanistan, where following Jesus clearly costs them everything, even their lives. We're following Jesus costs them their social status. We're following Jesus costs them their friends and their families and following Jesus ultimately costs them their lives. And the reports, at least that I've seen, the stories I've seen, the articles I've seen, even up to death, the response of, is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth the cost that it takes to follow him? The answer is a resounding yes from those brothers and sisters. He's worth it. He's worth it. Paul and Silas in a prison cell, I firmly believe if, if you could sit there with them and ask them, is following Jesus worth this beating you've gone through? Is following Jesus worth being locked up, the answer would be yes. Why? Why is following Jesus worth the cost that it's going to take? Because following Jesus allows us to witness God's work. What happens with Paul and Silas? Let's look at this real quick. Verse, verse 25, let's read that again. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the jail were, sorry, the foundations of the jail were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. Verse 27, when the jailer woke up and saw the door of the prison open, he drew his sword and he was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourselves because all of us are here. What happens here is God does a mighty work by freeing Paul and Silas, okay? That, that's the first part. That's the first thing that God does is he frees Paul and Silas. No longer are they in chains. No longer are they held captive. An earthquake happens. The jail is opened up and they're free. Yeah, they don't leave. We can talk about that and we can ponder that and we can scratch our heads on that. And why would you just not get up and run out? I believe personally because God was preparing Paul and Silas for what was about to take place. That if Paul and Silas had gotten up, if Paul and Silas had ran away or even encouraged those with them to flee the scene, 
Paul and Silas would have missed what God is going to do in just a moment. Following Jesus allows us to witness God work and God move. Can you think in, in this moment, I want us to think for a second of the things that we've witnessed, that how we've seen God move and God work. Every single one of us can sit back and think in moments of how God has worked and how God has moved in Sunday school classes and vacation Bible school and services and revivals and outreach opportunities, how God has worked in your life and in your life of your friends and your family members, how God has moved and you've had the opportunity to be a witness to it. We have those opportunities because we get to follow a kind, loving, gracious God who desires to use us for the gospel to go forward. And so in following Jesus, we get to witness God work. But also in following Jesus, God lets us witness life change. Let's look real quick. What happens here? Verse 29, Then the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And goes on and tells us that he and his entire house come to know Jesus and are baptized. It cost Silas and Paul their freedom. It cost them their physical wellness. But they got to be a part of life change happening by this jailer and his family coming to know Jesus Christ. And that's how we know that following Jesus is worth it. When we get to be a part of people coming to know Jesus. It's easy for us when when life is hard, when things are difficult, when it seems like all the odds are stacked up against us, when it seems like we've shared the gospel with this friend or this family member, and they're just they're not listening, they're not responding. It's easy for us to say, you know what? It's not worth it. Jesus following you is not worth it. Jesus sharing the gospel is not worth it. Jesus doing what you're telling me to do is not worth it. Jesus doing all these things is not worth it. And then we see that friend, that family member, lives being changed by the gospel. And then we come and we see kids through vacation Bible school or Sunday school or an outreach event through, through Upward giving their lives to Jesus. We see through kids' ministry a clicking and realizing, these kids realizing their need for Jesus Christ. Through Awanas. We come to realize, is it worth it? Yeah. Because in following Jesus, we get to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not easy. Following Jesus, being obedient to God's word, dying to ourselves and living for Christ, it's not easy. It's not comfortable sometimes. It's going to cost us more than we could ever imagine. 
but it's worth it. It's worth it. Because in doing so, we get to be a part of lives being changed by the gospel. We get to be a part of what God's working and doing around us. And we get to be a vessel that God uses through the work of his Holy Spirit to see a difference in people's lives, to see a difference in our homes, to see a difference in our workplace, to see a difference in our community. Not based on anything we can do, but by being readily available, sensitive to the work and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Paul and Silas sitting in a prison cell. Following Jesus costs them a lot. In the early church, we see that following Jesus cost the early church a lot of things. But we also see that in following Jesus, just as we see here in Acts 16 with Paul and Silas, and we see it throughout the New Testament as, as God worked, following Jesus allows them to be a part of some amazing things. And that the church grows, that God is glorified, that lives are changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at the end of the day, as a believer in Jesus Christ, our desire and our purpose should be this, that we want to know Jesus more and that we want to make Jesus known to the world. And that's it. Everything else falls under that. I come to church because I want to know Jesus more. I read my Bible because I want to know Jesus more. I'm in a Sunday school class or a small group because I want to know Jesus more. But I serve over here or I go to work. Yeah, it's to provide for my family, but I go to work also to make Jesus known. I'm in these friend groups to make Jesus known. I have these conversations. I go to this coffee shop. I do all these things to make Jesus known. And I go to bed and I do it again the next day. Because as a believer, my desire should be discipleship, knowing Jesus more, and evangelism, taking Jesus to the nations. Following Jesus costs us something. It requires something from us requires us to give them our lives, every aspect, surrendering to him. Not because it's easy, not because it's comfortable, not because it's quote-unquote safe. Because he's worth it. There's a movie several, several years ago, um, The Lion, or sorry, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, yeah. Um, and come off of a book by C.S. Lewis. If you don't know who C.S. Lewis is, go home and Google him. Um, go pick up a copy of uh, Mere Christianity or something like that. Um, if you're a reader, some great stuff that he writes. But there's a, a line in there, I believe it's in the actual movie, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, where they're discussing um, this character named Aslan. And Aslan is supposed to represent Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis is a Christian, he's a theologian, and so he utilizes his books and his movies to proclaim the gospel. And so this character is named Aslan, and 
There's a discussion among some people, and Aslan's a big lion. And they ask, they say, they're, they're just talking, they're asking, is he safe? Is Aslan safe? Or is he himself as this warrior lion who has come to lead Narnia free? Is he safe? This little mouse that has followed Aslan as one of his followers, he looks at his child and he laughs. He says, is he safe? No, but he's good. Is following Jesus safe? But it's good. It's good. Because he's good. Let's pray together.